Welcome to the Insider Outsider Podcast, where we have courageous conversations with business leaders around the globe about what it means to be an insider or an outsider in their organizations. We at WMFDP and FDP Global specialize in helping insiders understand their unique responsibility to engage other insiders, as well as outsiders, in partnering and building inclusive teams and organizations. I'm your host, Michael Welp, co-founder of the diversity and inclusion leadership development firm WMFDP and FDP Global, also a TEDx presenter and author of the book, Four Days to Change. Welcome to another episode of the Insider Outsider podcast. I'm excited this week to be co-hosting today with Annika Komen, uh, WMFDP, FDP Global Consultant. And uh, Annika, you and I facilitated a six-month process with McCain Foods with what was senior white leaders or white appearing leaders on a leadership trajectory track. And we've got two guests today um, that are going to be awesome to have a dialogue with. Do you want to share any context, Annika, that uh, is alive for you around what the accelerator was and why we picked these two awesome leaders? Yeah, thanks, Michael. Um, well, I just want to also acknowledge that this idea, this experiment that we ran was a collaboration um, with Sandra Kushni, um, the global director of DEI at McCain. And um, we were really looking at how do we help, especially senior white leaders, move beyond awareness into being able to embody and take some action? Um, and, and how are they going to be supported in that? And, and I think the most important thing to think about in this is um, a lot of times leaders um, at this level at a senior level are, you know, rewarded for being highly competent, having lots of experience, lots of um, competence in whatever area that they're responsible for. And in DEI leadership work, we're often taking um, action in the face of uncertainty and not always knowing of having or incomplete knowing um, and highly vulnerable. So I just want to set the context today for what we're about to share as far as what happened in that DEI leadership accelerator is an example for leaders everywhere of how do you start moving this work from training room and training sessions from, you know, having an awareness or analysis of this work, but not moving into the experimentation and action taking where we really start to become shaped by culture, and we also shape culture that way. Um, so that's, I guess that would be some of what I would share um, as far as context. And the reason that we're going to be um, welcoming both Jillian Moffat and Carrie Honeyus into the conversation is that these are two of the leaders within this um, container and this experimentation that really took this work, um, I would say, to a depth in their personal um, reflection, their personal biases, their values. Um, they didn't just keep it outside as an external McCain project, but they deeply internalized this work um, through reflection, um, through challenging some of their own biases and values, um, and for you know, putting themselves in the middle of some of this work. 
And then we're also able through that inner work to come back out and contribute in a more powerful way in McCain. So that would be um, the context that I could offer for what we're about to go into. Thank you, Annika. So we have our two guests. So let's welcome Carrie Hunnius and Jillian Moffitt. And do you two want to just share a little bit about your backgrounds and roles at McCain? Sure. Uh, so this is Carrie Hunnius, and I am the Vice President of Business Transformation and Sustainability at McCain. I've been here for about six years. I work in our North American business. And prior to this, I came from a global role. So I've had some global experience within the McCain business as well. Um, and in addition to that, I'm also active in some of our employee resource groups, in, in particular, the Women at McCain Resource Group here in the U.S. Thanks, Carrie. Thank you. And this is Jillian Moffat, and I'm the Chief Technology Officer for our global business at McCain. Um, and I've been at McCain for a little bit over a decade, actually. So I've been here for quite a while and have had a number of different roles, both in some of our business units as well as in different functions globally. Um, and I'm based in, in Canada. And outside of work, I'm a wife and a mother of two teenagers, as well as a sister and friend and play lots of different roles within uh, my life, both at home and then obviously at work. Thank you. Welcome. Monica, where do you feel drawn to start the dialogue? Yeah, I guess maybe starting to just ask you all, what was it like as you started to come into this DEI leadership accelerator? What was in your awareness, um, hopes, fears, concerns? And then maybe what led you as you started to participate, what led you to the areas that you chose to focus your, your project on or your, your leadership on? So what was it like to start? <laughs> hmm. uh, I'll start. Uh, it was awkward. It was very uncomfortable. Um, so being very vulnerable to something that was completely new. Um, and as we hmm. called it a project, it felt very... Uh, like I had to have outcomes and what came throughout the process was it was really a journey um, and it was a learning journey, uh, especially for me. Um, but that vulnerability was really hard to overcome sometimes. And the idea of how people were going to view me and, and what I was learning about, what I was thinking about um, it's much softer skills. than I think what you would get with executives who are here to drive results uh, they want to talk very analytically. And so being very open with your your feelings, your emotions, what you're feeling, what you're seeing is a much different skill set that um, we haven't been trained on before. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I'm struck. I remember one of the things that you said at some point, Carrie, was about um, if all you ever show is perfection or competency other people are going to think they always need to show up like that. So normalize that vulnerability, normalize making mistakes and being imperfect. And I remember that being a, a gem along the way. What, what helped you start to, I don't know, I don't know if you ever got comfortable with that vulnerability or not, but what helped you start to move with it or in spite of it? Or how did that go for you? 
Um, transparently, one of the things that really helped for me is having my kids home for summer break. We, st- we kicked us off over this, if I remember correctly, before the summer started yeah. and mm-hmm. having them home and actually having that dialogue at the kitchen table. Um, they're much more open to that vulnerability and I could ask questions. I could ask for feedback. Um, and so it's a safe zone to start. Um, and that's something that I'm trying to foster in my own family that I can then bring into work. Um, and, and be more vulnerable at work. Um, and transparently, actually, Julie and I had this conversation yesterday is it takes a lot of energy to not be yourself at work. Mm. And so being vulnerable is being yourself and, or being yourself is being vulnerable. And so, mm. um, how do I actually raise my energy levels, uh, to mm. be able to bring my whole self? Um, and that was, you know, that was advice Julian actually just gave me yesterday. So, um, just another little nugget there. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a path to to practice with your kids, to have the benefit of that openness and then bring that to work and find yourself being more yourself. So it sounds like it's like there's an edge, but you gain energy when you are more yourself. Yeah, and not everybody's going to respond in the most positive way. Some people don't want you to be vulnerable um, and that's okay. It's being able to read that signal um, and, and, and maybe taper back a little bit. Um, but you also find a different network. You find yourself opening up to a different network um, because the more vulnerable you start to read how people are reacting to you. Um, you then uh, you start to bring people more along on your journey. You figure out who are early adopters who are wanting to, to grow and develop. You can actually bring them along faster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you, Jillian? Um, I was just going to add a little bit to what Carrie had said. I think we kind of went on a pretty similar journey is that as I came in, I felt really uncertain and anxious and awkward about trying to move beyond just being aware mm-hmm. um, and really do some self-reflection. And it's interesting that you talked about your kids, Carrie, because I had a similar experience, especially on a couple of topics with my daughter and son in that I was asking them questions and helping and having them actually explain things to me in words that actually much more resonated and then helping Mm. to kind of, I think also hold me accountable and and give me a safe space where I could ask some of the questions that, um, especially when it comes to like gender fluidity that I just hadn't been, I wasn't exposed to as I was growing up. And so it's a it's a topic that I think we sometimes get uncomfortable asking questions on because we don't want to offend anybody. And but me being able to ask my daughter or my son and have them talk about sort of what their experiences and what they've helped their friends go through um, really helped me kind of be a lot more open to the fact that I've got a lot to learn and that we are going to continue to have a lot to learn. Mm. The other thing that I really liked was the fact that as we were going through this process, we did actually have a bit of a network and it wasn't necessarily the network that I typically use at work. And so I was able to connect with people like Carrie and others. And while not everybody was willing to be as vulnerable, there definitely was a number of people who were kind of going through their own journey and we're vulnerable as well. And I think that also helps to let me also open up um, and kind of find a bit of not comfort, but be okay with showing showing that vulnerability, that vulnerability. Mm-hmm. 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 This seems to be a big theme. Um, 
like who gets to be vulnerable <laughs> and where does it fit within business and the aliveness and the energy that comes actually when we start to, it's almost like it seems like there's a capacity building to drop some of the masking of that and be vulnerable and then normalize that as a part of leadership, as a part of diversity, equity, and inclusion, as a part of this, you know, kind of ongoing lifelong journey learning about all these things, learning about race, learning about gender. Um, yeah. I, I also hear as a theme, when you bring that vulnerability, new connections open up, new networks mm. and new relationships. And then somehow that really supports you on that trajectory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about um, this project that didn't end up being a project it ends up being a lifelong journey but it at least started as a project how did you connect with what you most wanted to learn about influence um, challenge yourself with how did you find what was that experience like you want me to go first Carrie perfect okay um, so my project was actually going on a learning journey about Indigenous history and culture in Canada, and I wanted to figure out and investigate ways that I could actually start to incorporate some of the truth and reconciliation actions into um, how I would be as a leader, but then also what I could do for the Indigenous community. And just to give a bit of context, as we started the course, as Carrie said, it was in the springtime. And if um, anybody would remember, that's when there was the confirmation of the remains at a number of former residential schools. So these were children's remains at former schools um, in a number of different communities in Canada. And I actually grew up in Western Canada, and that's actually where the original um, uh, the original sites were. And I think, you know, as someone who grew up in Western Canada, Indigenous culture and people were actually much more woven into my day-to-day life. So I had uh, kids in my school who were Indigenous. I had friends. I played um, softball with girls that were Indigenous. And so it was much more prevalent. And I think as you know, as a kid, although I may have been, I knew that there was prejudice and I had I had heard about racism, I don't think I really internalized it, nor did I actually really try to find anything out about it, mm. if, if I'm going to be really honest. Um, and I think all of the, um, the discoveries, which aren't really discovery, I think it's more of a confirmation because there's always been stories that children died at these schools it really kind of tore up my heart, I think, both as just a human being, as a mom, and then someone who grew up there. And I really wanted to make sure that I was reflecting on myself and that also reconciling my own need that I needed to do my own work in order to kind of reconnect with um, who I was as a kid, but then also reconnecting with the Indigenous community. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that loop. That's powerful. Terry, you want to give us a little overview too? what drew you into your project? Absolutely. Um, so as I started to just open up and doing some research about where I really wanted to focus, one of the things that came through in my research was um, the rate of uh, suicide amongst teenagers in the LGBTQ plus community. And um, the reason why that really hit home to me is when I was uh, in middle school, one of my uh, 
uh, teammates and classmates had had died by suicide. And it just, it struck a chord with me. And the other piece I uh, was reading about was it was even more prevalent amongst um, teenagers who were active in religious organizations. And so the impact that religious organizations had on the LGBTQ plus community and teenagers, and, and that is never an outcome that anybody wants for their child, for their friend. Um, and one of the things I'm also very active is I'm active in my church with our, our teenage community. And so just that really struck a chord with me is how can I actually create a safe space? Um, how can I bring it to life pretty quickly with, with the teenagers that I mentor on a weekly basis um, for them? And it may not be in, in that, in, in their, you know, in their gender fluidity or, or their sexual preference, but it's, it's more around how do I create a safe space for them to have any conversation? Um, and so that's really how I started my journey and, and that learning journey that I've been on. Um, unfortunately, I had to bring it to life pretty quickly as um, a, a student, a friend of many of my students um, died by suicide in December. And so just opening up that dialogue and learning more about how to speak about suicide, how to speak about, um, how to speak to teenagers about it has been, it, it impacted me right away. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why it was really important for me. And I have a lot to learn. I'm far from from at the end of my journey, but um, the important thing is I've started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I feel curious. I mean, impacted by both of you, like almost a little stunned, um, speechless when you're sharing the depth. Um, and it is also my experience when we really start to embrace this lifelong work and journey that it does begin with connecting to something close in that really pulls us. And then it can guide us in lots of different directions. So I'm curious, as you started from that place of your roots, your heart, some of your life experience, describe a little bit about the journey along the way. Like what did you bump into as far as your own bias or any resistances within or outside? And how did your journey start to move? as, as you started to step. Yeah. How about you, Jillian? Want to share a little bit first? Sure. I will start. Um, it's a really good question, Annika, for a couple of different, um, ways. I would say, you know, the first place I started was, um, with reading and trying to educate myself, um, and making sure that I was doing the work that I needed to do. Um, and I will say that, you know, I had the, I had this whole plan, you know, I'm someone who (laughs) puts together a plan, I execute the plan and I move forward. And one of the things is after I had, you know, read a number of, I've read books and I had, I educated myself and I'd been trying to listen more to indigenous voices. I made a couple calls where I was actually going to try to volunteer with an organization. And I remember actually, I think it was Michael Mm -hmm. who had said like, it's not always going to be as welcome as you think it's going to be. And I will say my first call was incredibly humbling um, because I was very much ready to get started. And it became apparent, like the woman on the phone basically told me that she was going to tell me whether or not I had anything to offer their organization. Mm-hmm. Not that I was going to be the one who was going to decide how I was going to help. And although that kind of, I think, took me a bit aback, and then I was mortified and embarrassed and very awkward. Um, 
it it, it did actually kind of help me think about sort of how I need to kind of stop and pause and slow down mm. and let other people sometimes lead me um, mm-hmm. and making sure that I'm willing to go on a journey with them and not just put my own um, way forward as this is how like almost more like putting conditions on how I'm going to be involved. And I think that's actually been, it's been helpful for me both in terms of going on that journey, but then also thinking about, um, you know, how I lead teams and the fact that sometimes I do actually need to, um, need to stop Mm. and reflect. Mm -hmm. I kind of got cringing inside as you were sharing that story, because I can so relate to like, okay, I'm awake now. I'm here. (laughs) I'm bringing it and forgetting like, well. There's this work has been moving and we're just entering in somewhere in the right. And how do we stop, step back, listen, learn, follow, relate, which is so sometimes opposite how we've been conditioned in the business world. Completely. Yeah. I also love how you took the I what you learned in that process. Oh, I I want to slow down. I need to slow down. I need to go on their ride. And took it into how do I relate to my teams and how does that change how I might relate if I use that muscle internally too and inside with my organization. It's awesome. Yeah. How about you, Carrie? So, yeah. So for me, um, very similar doing research, looking into um, you know what is going on in the world and, and how it can relate to me um, and how I can relate it to um, the things I do every day. And I had an aha moment. Um, it was kind of a, a weird one. I was on my Peloton bike taking one of my rides and it was a artist series and the artist series was Sam Smith. And the instructor was sharing information about Sam Smith and the instructor kept referring to them as they, and I kept thinking, but they're not a band. Um, because I kept using that as a plural and it it was a very small moment, but for me, it was really impactful because I was all of a sudden embarrassed of the way my thought, my unconscious bias took me there. Cause Mm -hmm. I I was thinking, wow, we're on this journey and I'm growing and I'm changing and I'm developing, but something so, um, organic actually broke me down to say, Hey, I'm not even close, um, to having changed or to transformed. Um, And so that was my, that was a really big moment for me because what I then did is I went into the office uh, in the next couple of days and posted on our Yammer site. And I said, I'm going to make more of these mistakes. Um, And my ask of you is bring them to me. Tell me, you know, tell me, open my thinking, tell me when I have a bias. Um, because if I don't hear about it, if I only, if I could recognize it myself that one time, that means there's probably hundreds more times that I'm doing it that I don't recognize. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the feedback I got, in fact, one of my direct reports um, at the time actually has a transgender child. And he was, my direct report was so grateful to open that dialogue um, mm. because then it, it, it just, it, not just in the area of LGBTQ, but also in the area of other parts of our work. He realized that I'm actually open to feedback across all aspects of our business. And so it opened up a relationship because of the program that actually um, translated into other areas of our business. Hmm. That's really powerful, Carrie. Yeah. What's powerful you. for you, Jillian, about that? 
Um, I think it's, it goes a bit back to that vulnerability where Carrie realized uh, something that she had, that she had biases and then put it out there um, so that her team reckon, and other people recognize that she knows she's not perfect and that she's got a lot to learn and is open to hearing the uh, hearing feedback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's back to that theme that you all both shared earlier about if I show up and be more vulnerable, I'm going to invite some new connections and some things are going to come my way that are new. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I love that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's coming up as I'm listening to you talk that I am, I think maybe in the way sometimes of the, you know, showing up and claiming our biases. One of my, one of my colleagues, he's just name it. We all have them. Let's start naming it and take the power out of them. Right. And normalize the naming and normalize the awareness of them. But I think sometimes in this work, it's been set up that if you don't know, if you make a mistake, you're that bad white person, <laughs> you're that, you know, unconscious man, you know, there's a lot of fear and shame that has been kind of entangled in it in some ways of bringing this work forward, um, maybe more in the so- social justice and, and public arenas, which I think has got some, in some ways people a little bit scared to taking that action of like, hey, I, I discovered a bias today, please if I'm, if I, if there are more, I'd love to hear about them, right. Or taking action on these projects. So that's one of the things that I'm, I'm curious about what you notice in the McCain culture around the diversity, equity, and inclusion work, especially around race or gender or sexual orientation. Do you think there is any, what do you think might be in the way of the sort of progress you'd want to see, um, and how might you want to start opening up a conversation about some of that? That's a big question. <laughs> um, I think it goes back a little bit, and then Kara, I'd be interested in your perspective. I think it goes back a little bit to the fact that um, that whole insider-outsider dynamic that we talked about as we went through the process, and I'm not going to get the words right, so you two can definitely jump in. Um, but it's that that kind of white male culture, and that mm-hmm. is very much what the McCain culture has been for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a number of, of, of characteristics of how we succeed in business that is based on that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's about the perfectionism. We need to have a sense of urgency. Um, like there's a there's a number of them that um that kind of self-perpetuate. And I and mm. one of the things that I about um I think as we've been starting our DEI journey is that we've been starting with areas w- with a real focus on how do we actually empower we started with women so how do we empower women to have more of a network and feel more comfortable in being who they can be at work Mm -hmm. and I think we're starting to expand that we still have a long way to go but Mm -hmm. I think it's it's figuring out how can we amplify amplify other voices and not try to have everybody fit such a cookie cutter in terms of this is the type of person you need to be um, if you're going to be successful at McCain or at any other company and kind of opening up our lens a little bit so that we're able to 
kind of think about what other people bring to either their roles or, or the culture. Mm-hmm. I love that. So it sounds like in some ways, some of the, the white male cultural characteristics that have made you successful at this ne- next stage of growth in DEI might need to be balanced. And that also what I hear you speaking to, and I can't remember which one of your colleagues really lit up about this, but not always culture fit, but culture add. How do we add to this and realizing that we can still have alignment around vision and values and have a lot of diversity and difference in how we show up, lead, think, relate. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. So for me, uh, there, there was one thing that really stood out in the sessions, which is um, I've always thought of myself as a good person, but I've always been quiet on the DEI space. Except, well, I shouldn't say that, except for women, because I could really relate to the journey women have been on through DEI. Um, but there was a point made around when you're in a position of power, you have to actually use it to, to drive change. And that was really impactful for me. And I think we need to see more of that. We have to stop being at the receiving in the passive space when it comes to DEI and how do we get more into the active space? And that's, I think we're starting that, but I think we can, I know we can do more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, and then the second part of it is uh, one of the things that I also see at McCain is um, we have to get more relevant to the next generation, um, both in are as employees, as consumers of our products. And, and mm-hmm. that is part of, I think, the DEI. If we look in 20 years, most of the people who've gone through this aren't going to be at McCain any longer. Most of them will be retired, just looking at the average age of the group that went through. And so in 20 years' time, we want to make sure that we left a legacy that Ms. McCain is still around and it's relevant to the times. Mm-hmm. And we have to start that journey now. We can't wait 20 years to start it. We have to start it now. Um, and I don't, I, I really would like to un- drive that home for folks is we have to really get into the driver's seat today in order to still be relevant in 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Completely. And that this work is part of a big part of what's going to drive that change, that business transformation and that relevancy, you know, in five years even, right. You know, yeah. If, yeah. if companies aren't responding now. Yeah. Well, if you look at, you know, the 15 to the Gen Zers, this is natural to them. This is organic for them. And so if we're not bringing that them into our environment today, um, it, it, it's going to be a detractor. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think, so I think it's really important just for the future generations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love I, that. You both shared stories, I think, about turning to your kids as teachers mm-hmm. and learning from them too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm looking at this quote, Carrie, in front of me of something that you said that um, is really powerful. Uh, silence doesn't give the feeling of acceptance to those that are or feel different than the mainstream. So we have to drive inclusive inclusivity. Passiveness is the same as driving exclusivity. And I'm curious about... Um, a quote from the Neuro Leadership Institute recently said that if you're not um, intentionally excluding, you're accidentally excluding. So I'm curious about intentional inclusion and maybe how you maybe have changed how you show up with your teams, with your peers, 
in more of an intentional way to think about inclusion, to think about belonging, to think about what is the culture at, as you said, Jillian. Anything about that that you'd want to share? Um, yeah, yes. So uh, when we've done some testing in the past, I have very low inclusion scores. Just naturally, I, I have I'm a zero and a one when it when it comes to natural inclusion. So switching from an unconscious having a natural exclusion, just in how I'm wired, um, Mm. to proactive and intentional inclusion. Um, Mm. It's something I have to work on. It's not something that comes naturally to me. I I write a to-do list of people I need to call every day, um, you know, and and I leverage people to help me um, on that journey. Um, And so uh, one of the people that I've really come to to add as a partner is um, actually in my assistant. So I've explained to her that I need help in this space and she's very good at it. And so she stays on top of it. Mm. She's like, you haven't, you haven't included this person. You might want to. And she's always a check and balance for me. So what I've done is I've asked a few people around the organization to hold me accountable in this space um, so that I don't put my head when things get tough, I put my head down and go into my silo. I need to keep my head out. And um, I've asked Mm. a few partners to help me with that. Um, especially in the space of, you know, diversity and inclusion. Um, mm. It's, it becomes very prevalent here um, and very obvious if you exclude. Mm. How has that gone for you having those accountability partners? Has that been helpful? And has it? Oh, yes. Long? Yeah. It, it's helpful because I've asked for it. Um, and it, so it's kept me on the, for lack of a better term, it's kept me in the, on the offensive of managing this versus mm. having to wait for someone to say, Hey, you've left me out like that. I never want to leave people out. That's not my intent. Um, so, mm. um, you know, asking for accountability partners, I think is really important to, um, keeping positivity up and making people, you know, making me stay on the right track. Mm -hmm. I love what you're speaking to, too, because so much of how we've thought of work and leadership is individual sometimes. And in this work, it's more of a we thing than a me thing, right? Like, we don't all have it dialed in. We don't have everything it takes to build the best, diverse, inclusive, equitable culture and company, right? But together, you know, people have different skills and gifts. And how do we recognize some of our vulnerabilities or limitations and ask for help, which is another, you know, great strength and courage um, to ask, to admit and to ask for the help we need. So I love that story, Carrie. What about you, Jillian? Anything you want to add about intentional inclusion, how that's going? You know, one of the things that I think is difficult is when we're all working from home, mm-hmm. um, it 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 becomes a much more active, um, you have to be much more active about uh, being inclusive. And so I think I, like Carrie, have been um, a little bit like trying to make, trying to make a list, that's the wrong word, but trying to be very conscious about who I'm including and making sure that I'm, in, I'm being more inclusive than um, I probably would be if we were in the office. Um, but I would say like the times when we have been able to be in the office, the opportunity just to be able to interact with with kind of a broader team has been especially rewarding given what uh, we've all been faced with over the last couple of years and was something that um, I was really starting to feel pretty good about where we were going uh, prior to the holidays. Mm-hmm. 
That brings up another question for me. I don't know, Michael, jump here and and, re- and, and interrupt me if I'm if you've got something. But I'm curious how it changed your relationships with one another. Because there was, you know, I don't know if it was a strategic leadership team that was part of that and a larger group as well. But have you noticed any changes in how you relate with one another as senior leaders at McCain and how you're looking at the business, how you're communicating? Anything different, or is there any room for also mm. some more growth in that area? Do you want to go, or do you want me to go, Carrie? You could, you could go. You I'll go. take this one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a really, it's a really good question. So it was primarily North America based. So the team that I work on is global in nature. So we've got people from all over the globe. Um, but I would say, especially for the group that was going through um, this process together, um, there is definitely a deeper connection because there were places where we let each other in mm. um, a little bit more to who we are as people than we typically would have. And I think as you form stronger relationships with the people that you work with and you get to know them better, um, I think you're able to challenge um, things from a work perspective in a different way. Mm-hmm. And you do, and I know for myself, I've I've actually found myself being more open um, as opposed to it having to be just strictly kind of like you're challenging now, you're questioning. Um, I've just been more open to having more of a conversation and mm-hmm. trying to ensure that I'm coming at it with impos- with positive intent. So that as we're having that, um, as we're having that dialogue, everyone's clear on sort of what my intention is. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like even within the rigor of the business and sometimes bringing challenge or questions that there's like a base of knowing or relationship now that changes a little bit that dynamic. Still more relational maybe than just yeah. strategic or business focused, both and. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 So for me, it was, I just, I built some different relationships that I wouldn't have built because of this. Um, I met some new people. I've seen their names. I've seen their faces, but I was actually able to have conversations. Um, And one of the things that was really impactful for me is when we did the fishbowl exercise um, and seeing, you know, when we, we did the male, female, where I think that's Mm -hmm. what it was called the fishbowl. And just hearing the men's perspective. I just had a way different view of, of some men that I hadn't been able to interact with or women that I hadn't been able to interact with. That was a very eye-opening exercise. And, and it really moved me to, to look at people differently than maybe when I've seen them on a GLT call or, you know, a, a company-wide call, it was, it was a much different perspective, mm-hmm. which was um, very impactful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That strikes me as part of that slowing down collectively slowing down to really see and reveal and see each other and show up in a new way and relate. Yeah. I'm noticing that our time is coming down and imagining you might have other commitments at the top of the hour. I want to hear any last thoughts you have. I also just want to appreciate you both for being here, knowing that, you know, this is about leading in an area that, we don't always feel confident in. So choosing to show up here on this podcast um, is another act of vulnerability, humility, and it's not about 
somehow I'm an expert. It's like, I'm willing to lean into publicly sharing my journey and including what you've said, both of you said, ask my group for feedback, hold me accountable, and then manage myself around that. I'm really inspired. And I also want to honor you, Annika, as really a, a huge thought leader person that helped really invent this process of of learning and action and reflection and moving between being and doing. And I think you set the bar in your coaching pods for not just focusing on the projects, but how am I changing myself as a person to mm. uh, align with the being and the doing? So mm-hmm. thank you for that. Yeah. Any any closing thoughts that you want others on the, their journeys to think about or anything you want to say in closing to each other here? Um, maybe I'll start. This is Jillian. Um, you know, the thing that I have really appreciated in this whole process and the journey that I think the two of you really helped us kickstart is it's helping us be open to being uncomfortable and getting through some of the awkwardness and um, helping us think through, you know, how do we actually go upon our own learning journey and acknowledging the fact that we all have a lot to learn, that we're going to make mistakes and that's okay. And that um, what's important that we pick ourselves back up and we try again. Mm-hmm. And it's really about, you know, the yeah. um, that kind of longer term of what we're trying to achieve, which is really around that diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Awesome. That was great, Jillian. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I had just two thoughts. So the first one is around just know you're not in this alone that awkwardness everyone is feeling and you may feel like you have to put up the brick wall or the barricade or whatever to hide it. Know that everybody feels just as vulnerable and just as awkward. Um, And then the second thing, and, and, and Michael and Annika, I want to thank you for this is to slow down and take the time to work on it. Um, Every time we've come into these, you guys have a sense of calmness that just takes your work blood pressure from up here to a sense of Zen down here that it's like, okay, I can breathe and I can actually work on something that's not about making French fries today. I can actually work on me, which is so important. Mm. Um, And then just one last thing. Thank you, Jillian, for being a partner in this. Uh, We've, we've actually talked offline about this and uh, you know, just being able to bounce ideas off of you and just being a thought partner and in not just this journey, but other journeys. So I just want to mm. put it on record to say thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you too, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One other thing, Anonika, you may want to have some closing thoughts is just honor you both for how you found something really important early in your life, whether it was indigenous or uh, LGBT related stuff with your church or suicide and really use that to really move into this area in such depth. Yeah, I I guess I would just say I have a sense of love and regard for both of you. I feel woven into your story now because of the depth and the vulnerability and the transparency and where you were willing to go. I just really want to honor that willingness to go where you needed to go so that you can start to lead outwardly. Because I don't think we can lead anybody in our organizations towards these DEI goals and this kind of culture, unless we've been willing to go there ourselves as leaders. So I just really want to honor each of you and the journey that you took and the journey that you're still on and what's to come. So yeah, thank you. And yeah, I just, uh, I feel a, a sense of celebration that we've got to have this conversation today and know that it'll serve those that are listening. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you for being here. Thanks for your journeys and sharing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Insider Outsider podcast, where we have courageous conversations with business leaders about what it means to be an insider or an outsider in their organizations. We at WFTP and FTP Global specialize in getting insiders to understand their unique responsibility to engage other insiders as well as outsiders in building inclusive teams and organizations. Our work takes us around the globe, transforming people and companies towards a more inclusive world. For the show notes about this podcast and more about the work of WMFDP and FTP Global, visit wmfdp.com slash podcast.